Hello and welcome to the Activist Podcast, brought to you by Vegan FTA, vegan for the animals. I'm your host, Gareth Skir, and I'll also be joined by my wonderful co-host and wife, Jackie Norman. In this episode, we have industry insider, Justin Reineck. Having worked with the pig farming industry for many years, Justin is able to give the general public a true insight into what goes on behind the barn doors. Justin is a vocal activist in the Steinbeck Animal Save chapter and has a lot to offer advocates wanting to understand the systems we are trying to dismantle. We hope you learn as much from this episode as we did. And be sure to check out our social media pages at VeganFTA on Instagram, Facebook and YouTube where you can also find this series in video format. Welcome Justin, thank you so much for joining us. Yeah, thanks for having me. And now, for those who haven't heard um, your amazing story yet and your transformation, um, could you please tell us a little about yourself? Yeah, so basically, um, I don't know, I was involved in some uh, farming when I was youth. So um, when I was a youth, I uh, kind of was troubled. I kind of got into some trouble and stuff, dropped out of high school, kind of was going down the wrong path and ended up um, without a high school education. There's not a lot you can do um, that can pay a reasonable wage. Um, so it's like, you know, you can pump gas, but that's minimum wage. And I needed a little more than that. So I, um, my aunt hooked me up with the farming and then I did farming for, um, you know, till, uh, 2009 when I met my dad and, uh, <clears throat> I was kind of on that search of trying to meet my dad because, you know, being a youth, you know, not growing up with a, a father figure, it's something you always want, um, to find out more about. And my wife and my family's like, uh, my mom's sister helped, uh, find out the information for me from my mom and I was able to uh get his name and um he was a bricklayer and uh I, I first day I met him uh he was kind of a shocker right and then um basically I just ended up asking him within like two weeks of meeting him like would you ever hire me because like I really want to get out of farming um because he owned a company right so I knew my chances were you know it was summertime it was pretty good to get a job and um yeah I got right into bricklaying and I never looked back and I really loved it because it was hard work um, which farming I could relate to, right? You're always moving, you're always busy. Same with bricklaying, you're always busy, you're always moving. Um, and that's why, I, so it kept me busy and I really enjoyed it and it paid a lot more too. So um, as soon as I got that first paycheck, I was like, oh, wow. Um, I don't know why I didn't get into construction sooner, but you know, I did. I just gra- was just graduating too. I got my mature students. So I was trying to better myself too and kind of get out of farming because I knew what I was I was in and how I didn't like it. And um, yeah, so I did that. And then I had, um, my grandpa had cancer in 2017. And um, so I was going through that. And I was the only family family member going through it with him. And um, he survived that and had the operation and had cancer taken out. And then I had a car accident like uh, two months later. And that car accident changed my life forever. Um, I was going to work and a lady took us out on a highway and um, I woke up in a field and all of our lives that were, were changed ever since from that day. And, um, yeah, like, yeah, it was a really bad car accident and everybody survived. Um, you know, we all have injuries that we've got to live with now. And then a month later I watched, uh, what's the health. I had it recommended to me and that movie, like I could relate to it so much with being a farmer and especially a Manitoba farmer. <clears throat> um, I could see North Carolina in Manitoba. Uh, we have farms all around um, our small communities and rural areas, and that's just identical to uh, you know, you know what they were showing in the movie, how they're spraying the field on you know mile road behind you, and that's just basically exactly how it is. And you know the smell of farm is basically surrounded by your town. 
Um, the wind's blowing the wrong way. That's all you can smell. And that's exactly how it is in all the communities I've lived in since I was 17. And um, so I was just like, why are we doing this? And, you know, seeing everybody's, I mean, I know the movie was kind of vegan bias, but I mean, with being a farmer, I could see it and know that, you know, if you're telling me I don't need to consume animals and I can do it, then why not? You know, so I did my research and I figured it out. And then I found um, two prominent, you know, vegan activists in 2017, James Aspie and Joey Carmstrong. Those were the two that kind of really got me really thinking, especially James because of health and Joey because of his troubled past and going vegan and how it helps him um, be more peaceful and stuff like that. And just try to like, you know, be a better person. Right. So I could relate to both sides of those with my grandpa having cancer and me having a troubled youth and dealing with basically all the same things as Joey. I mean, I did a year of house arrest and so I can relate to being told not to be able to leave and not be able to do anything. And, you know, um, so yeah, it was just like a no brainer. And that kind of pushed me into sharing my story because it was such a good, like, not just a good story, but it was just my story. And I wanted to share it with people because it helped me deal with what I went through because all of it not just the farming but all of it like is entailed and all big ones one event in my life that you know forever changed me that's an amazing story yeah yeah that's awesome thank you yeah thank you so much for sharing so um you grew up um in the generation of you know the the gut milk and stuff and uh when you're still a teenager that's when you know got given the opportunity to be part of the the meat industry to help feed your country you know you got it (laughs) Yeah. Um, So so when you got offered the job, you know, to get into it, you know, did you have any sort of idea what it was really going to entail? Or was it just, you know, go work on the happy farm? Yeah, not really. I didn't have an idea at the start. I started off with washing barns. So it was just washing the manure and the farrowing room. So I wasn't really with the animals and dealing with them. So like, that wasn't too bad. You know, you're paying me a decent wage to stand there with a pressure washer for, you know, six hours a day. I was like, okay. You know, and then they, what happened was they closed that barn down and they sold it and offered me a position at a barn, um, close to where, excuse me, <laughs> closer to where I grew up. And, um, they, uh, that barn was the boar stud. So that barn, they told me what it was, but I really didn't know what it was. Like, you know, it's a boar stud. What's, what's that? Right. And I didn't really think very much of what it was. Right. And, um, so and the incentive for that was a little bit more money than I was making before and being 17 and getting a salary job where you just have to show up and you get paid and if you work less you still get paid and you never really had to work more so I mean for for me it was a money thing and um, you know being a youth you kind of got to do what you got to do I wasn't living with parents right I had you know I was living on my own since 16 and a half um like that's when I started living with my aunt and then when I was 17 and we got my first apartment where they co-signed it for me um so I could move and then I was on my own so I needed that wage to you know pay my bills um so yeah that really yeah got me in it yeah so and it was a bit of an eye-opener wasn't it I mean we've um we were listening to uh <laughs> yeah, <laughs> we were um, we were listening to a fantastic interview that you did with uh, with the girls at uh, Animal Voices Vancouver. Fantastic um, podcast. So for anybody that 
really wants to know the nitty gritty of what Justin did and what goes on in, in a boar stud and in a, in a factory farm, you know, we will provide the link to it because, you know, it's just such a fantastic mm. interview. I don't think that we could really improve on anything that you said in, in that interview, which is absolutely perfect. So we'll, we'll put the link to there. Um, and so for, you know, it was it really made enlightening listening. So as you got more involved in the day-to-day tasks of running the operation, some of the procedures that you, you did speak about in that interview, such as... Um, harvesting semen and you know simulating pig sex for want of a better expression um it sounds really quite bizarre to those outside of the animal ag industry so um you know there you were at 17 and you know when you're not working presumably you know socializing with friends and what did you say to people who asked what you did for a living like was it simply a case of just stating your job title and you know i'm, I'm working at a boar stud and just leaving it at that <laughs> <laughs> so the Borsa kind of gave us a fun title. They call we were called gene transfer technicians. That was kind of the name they gave us here in Canada, and that's what it was labeled as, like when we were filling out our income tax and stuff like that. So with that, it was kind of a funny one to tell people, honestly, because people you'd tell people that and they'd look at you funny, and then I would say I was working with you know pigs. I was pig farming, and so they, you know they really they didn't really think too much about it. Um, but I mean, I mean. I met my wife when I was doing that job exactly, right? So, I mean, um, it's something that people don't really, I guess, figure out what it's about. And even she didn't even want to hear about it sometimes, right? Like, because it's so graphic, right? I mean, honestly, it is. And it's just like, and even me, it would upset me sometimes doing some of the jobs. Yeah, yeah fair enough. We have a similar thing out here with um, the dairy industry, and they have the um, the technicians which do the uh, insemination stuff like that. And they always give you that nice big title, you know, that yeah, I can wear that with a badge of pride instead of saying, you know, I did this to an animal today. Yeah, and, uh, I sunk my arm in up to the shoulder, you know. <laughs> You know, when you're partying with friends, what do you do? A gene transfer technician. Oh, you work in a lab? <laughs> yeah, yeah, that'll do. That's fine. That's fine. Yeah, yeah that'll do, right? <laughs> you leave it at that, you know, and whatever, right? I mean, but, you know, when you were doing the other jobs as a breeder or a farrower, it was kind of hard to, there's no fancy name for that, right? I mean, you're breeding animals or you're giving birth to animals. Uh, there's no there's no funny way to powder coat those ones. Uh, so those ones are a little bit more of just farming, like, but I mean, either way, people never really want to hear about where their meat comes from. That's one surprising thing. Even I lost more friends going vegan than I would have ever believed just because I'm not consuming animals. They're like, oh, I don't want to hear about it. And it's just, it's just weird because it's just amazing how so many people don't want to hear about where their food comes, even though they know. And, you know, in Canada too, we do lots of hunting and I grew up as a boy scout, you know, I went hunting, fishing, did all that stuff. Right. So, I mean, like, I was always under the pressure we needed to do it too. But I mean, when you see all these athletes surviving and thriving and like beating records on vegan diets, like you can't argue it anymore. I mean, everybody's searching for that next edge. Then, you know, why not give it a try? And then, you know, if you just get past that stereotype of the word, because I feel like that's part of the problem too. Sometimes people just label vegans as all as one thing. Right. But, you know, I mean, everybody's got their story and then, um, you know, especially with me being a farmer, right? I mean, it's it's got a next level to it, right? When you can actually describe what you're doing, where your food comes from, it can really make people think about it, right? And I think sometimes that's why they really just want to disconnect from that. Yeah. Yeah. Was there like one thing in particular that, you know, when you describe it to them, that would be like the instant turn off, like one, one thing that you really dislike doing the most and just, yeah, completely threw them off? 
the gruesome things, I guess, like uh, like farrowing area. There's lots of like afterbirth and gross stuff like that. So I mean, people don't want to hear about that kind of stuff. And um, yeah, I guess the castrating things too. Nobody wants to really hear about those details, right? Because it is for guys. It's I don't know. I I I hated doing it every time. I mean, I did thousands of them, and I still every time was thinking about that as being me. Like, you know, whatever that was me, and I'm still doing it to these animals. So it's yeah. uh. Yeah, I mean, so people just, you know, they just right away don't even want to hear about it, right? Fair enough. I mean, uh, we were talking about it, weren't we, uh, when we were coming up with some questions for you, you know, like when, when you've got an office job or an everyday job, like people don't talk about, you know, uh, to, their, to their friends or their peers, you know, how many emails I sent today or how many phone calls I took, how many documents I filed or how long they spent scrolling on Facebook, you know. Um, and, you know, it doesn't seem to matter what job you have. We don't really talk about that kind of thing in, in details. And, you know, do you think that that's one of the, the reasons that the general public don't know so much of the shocking details that do go on in animal agriculture? Because, you know, as a rule, we just don't talk about in detail about what we do. I think there, that is part of it. I mean, no, there's a lot, a lot, a lot, not a lot of people that want to go home and then talk about their work some more, um, mm -hmm. in, especially jobs that are kind of gruesome and stuff like that. Um, even office jobs, right? Those are boring. I mean, what's there to tell about your filing paperwork all day, right? Um, yeah. Yeah, so I think that's part of it. And then just the disconnect too, right? People don't often want to hear about how your day was. Not everybody enjoys their, there's going to be something, something doesn't, you always have something that wasn't good during your day and you don't really want to talk about it <laughs> anyways and relive it. So I think that's why people disconnect and go home and they're just like, turn it off, you know, have a glass of wine, have a beer or whatever they do, right? Or even, you know, people in smoking cigarettes, right? Barn workers were always puffing smoke cigarettes. Like, mm -hmm. like, oh, I hate my job. I hate my job. I mean, <laughs> I, I, I had asthma, so I couldn't do that. But I mean, that's, I mean, you know, I mean, that's, people don't often want to talk about their job when they don't like it. Yeah, for sure. Um, and two on that too, I mean, that's why I think um, when we do activism, we can show screens and we can make people see it. I think that's why it's so powerful with anonymous or voiceless and doing the screens and stuff like that because it can really um really confronts people instead of just like having to be told about it they can see it and then you know when you those people stop and they want to conversate on it i think that's what's so powerful about doing that with tv screens and just showing people directly on the in the public's eye what's going on i think that's what's so powerful about doing that because you really confront them and they can't run away from the story when they can see it and if you have knowledgeable people that can talk about what's going on like that's always always been I, I for me i mean when i can describe what's going on and say yeah that happens right here i mean i did this you know and like you know like i said with everything i talked about in the other interview with no medicine and you know i mean training from just another individual i mean i'm not no vet tech i mean <laughs> you know i wouldn't i wouldn't let somebody operate on my dog that was operating on a pig but i mean like you know that's what's going on basically absolutely and it's yeah you you're so right about um it's, it's getting that information out there you know it's it's not people aren't going to seek out slaughterhouses or factory farms you know most people to go and see what happens in them so by doing that and bringing the information to the people like you say it's so powerful it's like this is where your meat comes from um yeah, one of the, yeah <laughs> you know one of the things that um you were saying that you know a lot of cannibalism goes on in um you know with with the, the piglets in the in the pigs and um you know how people don't know when they're buying, uh, you know, a, a roast pork from the supermarket. Maybe that pig ate another pig. You just, you know, it's like, oh god. <laughs> so, 
I know, and it's it's crazy to think that. And you know, the many times that you know you come in on the weekend, they always pick on the weak one. I mean, we look at any any situation and any kind of you know, it's always like a pecking order. You know, even with chickens, they always go after the weaker one sometimes. And you know, animals can be cruel, but I mean, these are animals, and they they do their thing. And especially when they're in these positions where you know they have no room to run around, they don't have any toys, no stimulation, no nothing like. Um, you know, now with adopting a mini pig and giving him a place to live and stay and seeing the happy environment and like it was really hard the first month with him because I never saw that kind of engagement with a, a pig before and to see, you know, how happy they can be just rolling around in grass and playing in dirt, you know, simple things that, you know, they're so deprived from and in or even chewing on tree branches is new favorite thing. <laughs> you know, I, you know, like this it's like such a cross between animals with them and to see their own personality and to see how deprived they were in the barns. And that's why they're picking on each other because there's nothing for them to do. I mean, and we even knew it in the barns too. And we would, we would throw basketballs in the pens with them. They had chains sometimes hanging, um, you know, to try and occupy them in the finisher barn. So they're not cannibalizing, but I mean, just cause we know they're doing it. I mean, that doesn't make it right. I mean, we should, you know, I mean, giving them more room is not going to help. We just, now that we know we don't need to be doing this, there's no reason to. So, I mean, yeah. it's just crazy, you know, when we know, like you said, that these animals could have eaten another animal. And yeah. The animal. <laughs> and the whole thing about when you were talking about um, cutting off their, their teeth and the tails, which, you know, we'll, we'll talk about. Um, but, you know, the whole reason that you guys even have to do that was because we created that because, you know, so that they don't get bored and they don't attack each other. You cut the tails off so that, you know, they can't chew on them because they're bored and, and they can't damage each other if you cut their teeth. So it's like, you've got to do these horrible jobs, which, you know, our demand as humans created because we insist on keeping them in these horrible conditions. It's just mind-blowing. Yeah, definitely. Especially with the genetics too. I mean, we've bred these pigs to grow the fastest and keep them short. And we've made these pigs now genetically in the last 15 years you know, to suit our needs too. Like they've taken all these different breeds to create a new breed just to to suit their demand of what they're looking for too and make it more convenient for shipping and hauling and growing, right? You know, it's just like what they did with chickens, you know, in the 50s to make broilers. They've done with pigs now too. And um, it's crazy, right? Like it's, yeah. Yeah. It was um, interesting. I listened to a TED talk about addiction at one stage and they did a study with rats and it was uh, water with uh, cocaine in it. And they give the rat an empty cage on his own and they give him this water and normal water. And of course, it just goes for the, the drug fueled water until it, it kills itself. And then um, in another cage, they gave the rats, you know, as many toys as they could need. You know, they had friends in there. They had all the food they could want. They, they basically gave them a perfect habitat and then the same water bottles and they didn't touch the, the the cocaine spike water you know they just went for the natural thing and that's the thing when yeah. we create these systems you know what else do we expect them to do but you know self-destruct within them and yeah it's so sad to see but um we touched on this uh, i guess briefly earlier you know um a big part of the appeal for you as a teenager you know when you got into farming was the size of the paycheck in hindsight, do you believe the wage ever met the, the sort of the work requirements? 
No, because as I got into it more and more and traveled through farming, um, I found out that uh, you never were able to get your actual overtime. So anything after eight hours was just straight time. And it was so in the end, it never ended up panning out in the end. I mean, the one job that did the salary job I was in the boar stud, that was okay. But I mean, that job is just mentally not fun to do. Uh, and that could have changed too as the company grew because I was with the company when it was still relatively small and now it's this gigantic corporation so I mean that probably wouldn't have lasted anyways uh, and so no I don't think it's the pay matched what the workload was because it was one of the heaviest workloads you had like you're always moving you're you know you're rushing through your breaks and like I said you're given well, 10 hours, you're working two hours already over time that is not paid over time. So, I mean, you know, you're only given 10 hours to do a job that sometimes could take even more if you actually, and I think too, if we were actually given more time and paid well, maybe you would take your time and maybe things wouldn't get so out of hand sometimes, but cruelty is still cruelty. I mean, you're cutting tails off and clipping teeth. So, I mean, mm. you know, I mean, the, <laughs> I mean, it doesn't matter in the end, right? I mean, it's still cruelty. So, I mean, there's just... Uh, there's no good way to do the job and you know when we have so many better things better ways we can you know make money off agriculture you know growing plants that we eat yeah. <laughs> and you can get more plants per acre than you do with meats it's you know a no-brainer almost right so I mean I don't think the wage was ever right for the amount of work and what it put us through too right because you're often in such a stressful situation and you know it not I wouldn't say it taught me but it encouraged you to be more physical and pushy with animals right and treat them more like a product and not really like a like a person right and that carries on into everyday life too right I mean if you don't respect animals how are you supposed to respect humans I mean I don't see how it's you can't have one without the other if you can't respect one how are you we're all animals how are you if you can't respect your animals you're never going to respect each other um, yeah. I think that goes along with everything that's going on. I mean, we need to respect each other at all, all animals, all, all we're all sentient earth creatures, right? And, you know, you need to, you know, get along. No, that, that really brings things back um, for me, you know, like I was being a, a, a working on a dairy farms for years in a previous life, you know, and, and when we talk about, you know, vegans versus farmers and all oh, farmers are so hardworking, you know, and it's like, we know, you know, farming is really, really hard work and it's, it's not fun work. It can be very stressful work, but, um, you know, having spent years doing that, um, I fully understand what it's like being part of that system and also sort of focusing on doing a good job without fully realizing what that job actually is. So, um, you know, we become so indoctrinated in that this is the way things are and this is what we do. So looking back now, you know, when I was farming, um, I took huge pride in the fact that, you know, I was like 50 kilos, five foot nothing, and I could milk 220 cows by myself. Um, you know, and I could, I could carve a cow by myself. That was like huge, you know, big proud thing for me. So, um, you know, now I'm like, wow. But, but at the time, you know, I did, I really prided myself on doing my job well, you know, and, and like you say, it's often in stretch, stressful situations, but as doing as, as good a job as you could do. Um, was it the same for you being, you know, trying to be skilled in the tasks which were asked of you as well? Definitely. I was always raised to do the, like my grandma always told me, you know, if you're going to do something, do it right. Do it the best way you always can. And, you know, put it all your, all your effort into it. So, I mean, like, yeah, I always learned everything I could from the people. I always tried to make, you know, you're always told to make the barn owner as much money as possible. And you always want to do good for the owner, right? 
And um, so I did that. And I mean, I achieved uh, uh, in Manitoba, I beat the born alive record for piglets in a, in a sow. So she had 25, four born alive piglets and 21 survived to go on to slaughter. So it was a record that was never beaten in Manitoba and, and uh, the average was 11 and a half. So um, the Manitoba pork company, they actually like bought us pizza. They brought us bar. They, you know, they rewarded the whole barn for, for our, my hard work. You know, I mean, to encourage me to do a better job at doing this to the animals. Right. And, you know, so, yeah, I mean, I, I took my pride in my work and tried to do it to the best of my ability. Um, even the person that took over my job after he didn't know how I did what I did. And, you know, like he was really blown away because I kept in touch with a few people for a little while. I mean, that's all those connections are gone now, but I mean, that was a lot, like you said, a lifetime ago. Um, and, um, yeah, I mean, you know, I always did the best I could and I do the same thing with bricklaying, right? I mean, you have to, I mean, you have to do the best you can, otherwise you'll be out the door and there's a guy to replace you and, you know, you got to be fast and you got to be accurate. And, you know, that's, you know, I think that, I mean, that gave me good work ethic too, um, being in farming, because it does, I mean, if you, you have a list and you're, you're oftentimes, you're not um, managed by anybody, you know, you have to, you know, pick your tasks, get them done, and you have to do it on your own. I mean, it was two guys in charge of a thousand animals. So, I mean, you know, you have your two jobs, you know, you have your list and he's got his list. And if something happens, you get help and, you know, that's it. And so I think that led me into good construction etiquette and being such a good construction worker, too, as I, you know, really achieved great things and worked really hard. And, you know, especially with Brickling and, you know, well, graduating all my school really quickly. And, you know, it was, you know, led me into good things. So, I mean, it does give you good ethic. You know, I mean, there's good farming out there, too, that you don't have to do animal farming. So, <laughs> you know, it's never about being hard on the farmers. And I, I sometimes I, I think that gets lost in the message. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. So um, this is a systematic problem, not an individual problem for the most part. Um, but, yeah, as, as we, once again, we've touched on this earlier, um, with the Animal Voices Vancouver interview that you did, you know, it was really quite shocking especially for me because myself I don't have a farming background but hearing you talking about you know things you asked to do as a teenager which was you as you said castrating two-day-old piglets uh cutting off their the teeth and tails assisting sows in giving birth all of this without you know pain medication and stuff like that for the animals um as time has gone on you know there's more people like yourself who are speaking out about the welfare issues and that's not just for the animals, because we're all becoming very aware now of just how inherently cruel these industries are, but um, also for the workers. And, you know, I guess you um, we put under a lot of pressure, you know, you either you either do the job or you don't have a job. You know, you, it's either you do these acts or you're gone. Yeah, definitely. Definitely. I mean, if you're not willing to do the job, then you're of no use to the worker or the barn. Right. I think it's really important. Uh, yeah, it is really important, you know, to, to do your job and that's, otherwise you're gone. And you know, I mean, that's with most jobs nowadays. I mean, if you can't uh, perform, then, you know, there's someone to replace you. So, I mean, there's always that kind of pressure. Yeah, that's my dog, Scott. Yeah, <laughs> sweet. <laughs> <You're> lonely. <laughs> uh, yeah, she's a rescue we got sort of shortly after my car accident. I saw her uh, in the it was weird, you know, we weren't looking for a dog, but, you know, for some reason I saw her online and I went and looked at her and she, like, was the only dog that wasn't barking and I 
yeah, I ended up coming home with her. So <laughs> it was kind of a kind of story. Yeah, she's pretty awesome. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you for coming uh, to say hello. <laughs> yeah. Stop the podcast. We'd like to take a moment to give a shout out to one of our partners, Animal Hero Kids. Animal Hero Kids are fostering a culture of empathy and kindness in children and teens by encouraging and recognizing compassionate and courageous acts that help all species of animals. Animal Hero Kids also offer complimentary, interactive, humane education programs highlighting stories of rescue and aid of animals in need. Do you know a young person who is a hero for the animals? Sign them up to this global movement. Head on over to animalherokids.org to learn more. Now back to the podcast. We were just wondering, actually, um, another question um, meant to ask is, you know, you're saying that there weren't too many other work um, opportunities in, in Manitoba, you know, being such a rural rural area. Um, you know, is there a high staff sort of t- turnover with these kind of things? Because I know in, in dairy farming, it was kind of like a, um, over here, it's like survival of the fittest, you know, who's tough enough to stick it out kind of thing. If you don't stick it out, you're a wuss, you know, you're a wimp. Uh, so. so there's that kind of staunchness as well you know so just wondering with the kind of work that you had to do you know was there a a high turnover of workers and I think I think um I think there is now uh like back when I was younger it was more people that were local working in these farms um but now I think now I feel that even when I was there I saw it more turning more into bringing people in from other countries to work in Mm. our barns as foreign workers and giving them like job opportunities and bring their families over to work in barns too i think that's a problem we're starting to see more in canada because they're realizing more locals aren't willing to work in these positions because of the conditions of the barns i mean that's my personal feeling with what i saw with the when you know the companies i worked at turned more corporate they had more money and they can bring people in from other countries where they're already working to bring their stuff over um so yeah it's something that i think is a bigger problem and even doing our vigils and stuff um like none of them are people are local you can they you know when we try to talk to them they're not you know they don't speak english very well so we know that you know they're not you know generally from around here and i feel like we're taking advantage of these people bringing them from uh you know a impoverished area and then giving them a job in canada but like giving them a job in the worst possible condition condition so it's something that I think is um, more of a problem here that I'm starting to see with jobs that people aren't willing to do. They just, you know, bring people are that are going to be willing. And, you know, once they have you like that, you know, and then they offer you these incentives, you know, to bring family over to, to work in the barns. I think it's, you know, it's, it's, just, it's kind of, you know, not really right. <laughs> no, <laughs> you know, no, you're right. Uh, I mean, that's what I I've seen here. Yeah, that makes sense, actually. Like, when I first got into farming, it was um, the early 90s. And that was, you know, it was quite a prestigious thing to do. It was, you know, you're a good sort of the earth person. That's what you get into. That's what all the young people were doing. And, you know, because you could climb the ladder. There was a lot of money in it. And it was a good, wholesome, honest job kind of thing. Um, and now, you know, society's changed. A lot about uh, youth and attitudes have changed. And so, you know, there was a while there that, you know, the the farming they were going out really hard advertising because young people today, they were like, I'm not doing that. I'm not getting up at four or five in the morning, having no weekends, having no holidays or time. I mean, my twenties were just gone, you know, they were gone in a blur and they were gone in the cow shed somewhere, you know? Yep, um, right. 
<laughs> I never get those years back, you know. So, um, yeah, it's certainly changed. And, and the same, yeah, we have the same issues here, just trying to get uh, people who will do the job and good, reliable workers because people don't want to do that stuff anymore. No, the young people, they'll try it for a little while and be like, why am I doing this? Even when I was working, um, we would bring in young kids to watch, try and get them you know and they just they don't want to be there it smells you know they they'd rather be on their computer doing something with computers right i mean the push is so computerized nowadays why would they want to be in a smelly barn with animals and you know that's what i found too i mean no no youth wanted to get involved i mean that, the farmer's son didn't want anything to do with it that that you know that would come help out a little bit and i think that was just more of a common thing we're starting to see because there's just so many other opportunities you know that for the people right and i think that's why they end up taking advantage of these other you know communities and people and yeah, yeah it's, it's not right i always find it quite ironic as well and how um you know that problem is you know it's global you know um everywhere we have this this uh, this idea though that there's always such a patriotic industry you know the animal agriculture and stuff like that you know we're feeding the the country you know and we're implying our own but for the most part you know that's that's not really true now you know we're sending the best stuff overseas we're having the folks from overseas come and, and work you know which is fair enough but we're putting them into those hellish conditions you know and yeah it's, it's quite ironic can you see bubba there oh, oh hey bubba came <laughs> for a little little show <laughs> oh look at that waggy tail <laughs> Sorry to interrupt, but I thought I'd show you. Oh, no, <laughs> no we love interruptions like that. <laughs> yeah. um, so you've mentioned um, during your years at the hog farm, you know, there are times that you thought, you know, like this, this isn't right. You know, it just, it just, there's something wrong about some of the actions that you're doing. Um, did you ever talk to some of your other co-workers about that? And was there actually any support given by like the bands and stuff like that for mental health? No, there was nothing talked about with mental health for workers or any kind of talk about what we were dealing with, even like, you know, killing pigs, all the different ways that I've talked about and killing them. I mean, there's no, I've learned more now with going to PTSD groups for my car accident. You know, a lot of what I experienced, you know, is trauma and it's something that I do deal with and, you know, I need to talk about it more to share my experience. Um, it's something that I really learned. It's like your bookshelf or scratching off the wound. You know, it's, you know, it, it kind of heals every time the, you scratch it off. And, um, yeah, it's something I've learned with, you know, going to PTSD and stuff like that. Because, you know, killing animals, you know, for needless ways, it is something that, you know, will bug you. And it does bug me. And it took me a really long time to, you know, get used to Bubba seeing him in a happy place. Um, you know, the first kind of couple nights was kind of sad, you know, because I was just like, you know, what was I doing, you know? Mm -hmm. um seeing how happy he was especially because he was um only six months old when we got him so he's still pretty small and he's grown a little bit since then and <laughs> just a bit <laughs> yeah just a bit so he's a little bit smaller than this guy and um yeah so to see him in a happy environment see his personality and all the different you know sounds he makes and how he's everything's kind of a conversation with him and you don't even know it <laughs> it's it's fun it's it's something else it's awesome oh it's great that you found support in other ways because we were talking about that weren't we um 
you know, if, if you're a, if you're in the police and you witness something traumatic or you have to do something traumatic, or if you're in the, the fire service or something, you know, you get offered counseling and all this, like there's, there's nothing like that that I even know car about. Accidents, right? Even car accidents, yeah. you're generally offered some counseling to deal with, especially traumatic ones, right? Where it comes out of nowhere and gets you, um, you know, and then that's, you know, in talking about is kind of when you find out these other things too, that they, they're, they're up there too, right? Yeah. Especially a few of the other things I dealt with, I you know some of the encounters I had with police and some of my youth too. I mean, those are definitely things that I'll always remember and stick with me as well. Um, but yeah, I mean, once you learn about PTSD and how any you know trauma is trauma, but you know as you build trauma over a lifetime, it's like a bookshelf, and eventually that bookshelf can get full, and then your bookshelf can fall over. So I mean, you know, adding farming and everything else it just it can all get to you right and then all it can take is one thing that can help you remember and then you can you know kind of have a have a breakdown so yeah it is important for that there's something for workers I mean you know they don't even realize especially the ones that we're bringing over from other countries we're not you know we know this as people living here and have done it but you know we're we know this now but we're still bringing people over and we don't tell them you know there's nothing for them mm. I don't know if it's starting to change, but I, I doubt it. I mean, there's some unionized slaughter workers and stuff that you hear about, but I don't know if that helps anything. I mean, <laughs> yeah, and I mean, murder is murder, right? So. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. So oh, hopefully one day, but I mean, even, yeah, with, with all my years in, in farming, you know, I was flabbergasted to hear some of the things that you've spoken out uh, about that go on in pig operations and um you know one such example and i mean god i'm you know i dealt with things with cows as well so we can definitely draw comparisons we can have all kinds of horror stories between us but uh one of the ones that i've got into cow farming i didn't want to ruin milk for myself uh, I was lactose intolerant, you see, and I think that's why it took me so long to make the connection. I was always vegetarian, but I was severely intolerant to dairy products. So, you know. Um, I loved chocolate milk growing up, so I, I really never wanted to learn about where my <laughs> came from. And then, like, you know, once I was vegan and found out, I was like, that was the easiest thing for me to stop because I was like, what? Like, I was like, okay. Like, it's like, for me, it was like, watched What the Health the next mm. day. Like, no more animal products for me. You know, for everybody in my house, it took a little bit longer. But for me, I was dead set because I was like, what, what are we doing here? I mean, especially like, you know, all of that, right? When you start like finding it out, it's just like, how much is in what and what? Exactly. <laughs> like, you know, like, and having done that and put all those antibiotics and medicines and, and chemicals and things into, you know. That... Being a farmer, I, I knew what I was reading wasn't lies. Mm. But I mean, like I, I could, I, I doing what I did with pigs, I knew that there's no way this could be false too. I mean, I, I mean, I, what I'm reading is about pigs is true and I did it and this has to be true too. So. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I get that. And, um, you know, like how, how do people react to you when, um, they hear this kind of information from someone who has actually experienced it and said, you know, that's, that's not actually rubbish what they're saying on what the health or no, that's not crap what you see on the internet. This is, this is what happens. Yeah. It's kind of interesting. Um, it usually leads to a pretty good conversation uh like with the public general public like it's it's a good conversation because it can really open their eyes that they don't realize that they I mean everybody thinks it happens animal cruelty or these practices but they don't realize it happens here like in their own province for some reason they think their province is different all the time you know that's it's kind of weird to disconnect oh well it doesn't happen here and well yeah it does i mean i did it i mean i can relate to it i mean i can explain it to you like word for word what we were doing 
And I think that at that point is when they really start listening because then they realize, you know, I, I do have the knowledge in it. And, I, and I'm not speaking, I, I'm not like, I'm speaking right from the heart when I'm doing it. Like, it's just, it's not even something I have to think about. It's, it's the, like you said, it's my day in day out routine. Like it was engraved in me. Like, you know, you turn on the lights, make sure everybody was up, you know, it's just, it was engraved into me. So for me, it's, it's just like a routine to speak on um, that I did for, you know, four years straight. So yeah, for NN farmers, it's fun to talk to too, because like I call it fun, um, because they, they want to say, well, I don't do it like that. Okay, well, okay, what, ho- what kind of hog farm do you work at? Or what kind of pig farm do you work at? And then they say this kind, and I'm like, okay, so this would be your daily tasks. And then they're looking at me like, ah. Because, <laughs> you know, like, yeah, I did a Cubit Truth, or, a, or I was, yeah, Cubit Truth in, in our town here, uh, in Steinbeck here, and um yeah, like the, the farmer came up from the same company I worked at, and he was like, "It do, it doesn't happen like this." I'm like, "Well, where do you work?" Oh, I work over at this barn. I I, I worked at that same barn actually. So I was like, "Oh, well, this this is what happens here, and like this, and you know, every weekend you have how many that pass away and die, or we have to kill and pick up from the things." He's like, "Yeah," <laughs> he's like, "I can't argue with you," and he just walked away. And he ended up saying, "Having my daughter at the Cuba Truth was a." Uh, was cruelty <laughs> or child abuse sorry child abuse i was just like oh really i was like well she's on her free will and she she she, she can tell you about animals <laughs> how dare you tell her the truth about where meat comes from and make her compassionate oh god <laughs> yeah so uh, i mean i i enjoy having the farmer conversation because it's more of a it's more of it can be more of an educated conversation, even on my YouTube channel too. I've had, we had a really good conversation out at a farm where we went, followed a truck to and same kind of thing. So it's, 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 it's enjoyable to, yeah. to share my experience and like to, to help maybe open their eyes and get them thinking too about what they're doing. Yeah, no, that's awesome. It's really good. And um, I mean, I know the very first piece of activism that I did was a video for safe um, and knowing what farmers are like over here, um, I was so scared, you know, because there's little me, you know, <laughs> and his big gruff farmers and, um, you know, it, it is over here. It's just massive, massive industry like it is for you over there. And I was really, really scared. I was so scared, in fact, that I made them, um, distort my voice and blur out my, my face. And all I was doing was speaking the truth about, you know, that cows and calves get separated and this is what happens. And, you know, I was the one that, um, would, would drive the motorbike, you know, while all this was was going on around me, you know, I was only speaking the truth, but, um, you know, even just doing that, there were still graphic threats of violence and all sorts made against me. So, um, you know, speaking out against a violent system can invoke a violent response. Um, was there an elephant? Elephant. <laughs> Got animals on the brain. <laughs> was there even an elephant of fear for you when first speaking out? Hopefully no elephants, but... <laughs> Not here in Canada. <laughs> uh, um, I I wasn't too worried about it. I mean, uh, you know, we live in a day and age where we have technology on our side. I mean, we have cameras everywhere nowadays. We have recorders everywhere. I mean, you, you basically can catch any moment on camera, at least recorded somehow in some instance, you know, voice recording. So, I mean, I've never been too worried. Um, you know, I grew up with troubled youth too. So, I mean had my share of fair fights growing up. So, I mean, it's, 
it is what it is. I mean, I don't want to fight anymore. I don't enjoy fighting. I mean, I definitely don't encourage fighting in any sort of way, but I mean, like I can protect myself and my family. And, you know, I mean, I don't think it's ever came to, it's weird because um, I don't know if it's because I'm a guy. I mean, I've never, I have even my, I don't get too much banter back. I mean, I don't know if it's the way I give my message. I mean, I haven't, I'm not hopefully encouraging people to start attacking me, but I mean, like it's, I haven't ever really encouraged that to or had that happen so much right now. I mean, even our Facebook or our YouTubes, I mean, I don't really see too much of that. I mean, what I speak is just so accurate to what I went through. I mean, it's hard to really argue it in any sort of the way. I mean, you're just agreeing with it with arguing it almost. I mean, you have no, can't really argue with what's going on with these industries. I mean, it's pretty yeah. black and white. I mean, exactly <laughs> and, and we're not sort of saying you know all farmers are horrible people because it, it's not the case you know, I know. I think it, yeah exactly because that's something I do speak on I mean I speak on other options for farmers and I mm. and I do speak on that because I mean I I see a, a pig farm as so many opportunities I mean it's got sewer it's got water it's got electricity I mean we're going into a time and age where you know outdoor agriculture is really suffering in some instances whether it's you know I mean here in Canada we have a lot colder weather and more rain right now we have lots of flooding right now and then we have these barns where we have thousands of animals and eight uh, square footage of space that we could be using to grow agriculture inside um <laughs> inside uh, inside a barn right and hydroponic systems or anything right so and i'm a, and i think that's something that we, is is feasible right because you have everything you need inside a barn to do i mean we have um i've read a few things where they put chicken farms into hemp farms same principle right you have water you have electricity you have an enclosed space or they can turn them into mushroom farms so i mean we can take these these buildings that have already been have every essential for growing things and use it for something and I, I do speak on that as I, I do agro like do home agriculture and I've been learning a lot about permaculture and like um, hydroponics and growing systems I have a big hydroponic tower sitting here for growing uh, lettuces uh, big tower gardens so that's what this big bright light is oh, awesome. <laughs> and um, yeah so I mean we have so many different things we can do where farmers can make money that don't um, have violence involved you know, you could go to work and have a happy day trimming plants and, you know, picking up the clippings and sweeping and like making sure everybody has water and the pH of the water is good. Like, you know, you can do a day of peaceful farming where you'd actually like go home feeling good. I mean, there's nothing better than going into the garden and working in a garden. Uh, uh, you know, and if every farmer could experience that instead of pushing animals around and mutilating them and doing all these things to them, you know, you and I think it's been proven too. There's more money involved in some of these other farming systems than uh, animal agriculture, as most of it subs uh, has subsidies. You know, if we take the subsidies away, meat would be so expensive the average person would never want to purchase it, and they'd purchase the plant-based meat anyways. So, uh, I mean, in the end, I mean, we sh we're going to end up there anyways because you know, eventually, who knows what'll happen? But I mean, if this farmer can't get subsidies, the meat price is going to go double, right? And, you know, I think in the end, that's the answer, right? I mean, we have all this space, and then you got to think about all the land that's used to feed the animals. So like, especially in Canada, most of our agriculture land is fed to the animals. So, I mean, you know, we're wasting so much on, you know, double feeding. We're feeding an animal to feed ourselves when we could just feed ourselves, you know, and, and use these facilities, like I said, to grow high-value protein. 
year round because um, we all have winter, right? And if we have barns that have temperature and climate controlled and we use thermal mass, you know, these, these facilities would be something that would work. And I, I, I don't know, I hope someone will eventually catch on to the idea and start doing it. Yeah, I, I think that's wonderful. Like for me, I, I, I love it when people have the approach of uh, presenting not just the problem, but the solutions too, because um, once again here in New Zealand, you know, we get asked about, you know, oh, what am I going to go do with those hills over there then, you know, and they always want to know um, exactly what they can do with their specific land. And yeah, it's, um, I really hope more people are able to, you know, learn the same as you and uh, what solutions we can give to people. But um, going back to, you know, your work with uh, doing the Cuba Truth and stuff. So you're an integral part with the vegan outreach in Manitoba. And um, oh, the other way. So it's not my face. Sorry. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> no worries. <laughs> the light was just, it's just kind of, it's getting dark out now. So the light's getting really bright beside me. <laughs> no worries. But yeah, Sorry. so how was it for you, like doing your first Cube, you know? So once you're fresh out of the industry and stuff like that, you know, um, getting out into outreach. Yeah, it was uh, a lot of anxiety, really nervous. Uh, I still shake before a cube. Uh, you know, you just get nervous. You don't know what the public's response is going to be at the start, right? It's kind of like a ooh kind of feeling. And then, you know, you have your first conversation and it's it just starts flowing. And it's, it's you know, for me, it's just like, um, you know, that approach of just letting people watch and seeing what their, what their approach is and how they're feeling. And then, you know, seeing like, have you seen this before? And how do you make, how does this make you feel? And then, you know, if they have questions about what they're seeing, seeing and if it happens here, that's when I really start to go into kind of what I kind of experience. So, I mean, it's, it, you know, it kind of just flows for me um, when I have the conversation, but definitely before the cube setting it up, we've had a lot of problem with security here and like, harassment from people you know, that's why we ended up having to have body cameras and stuff so we could record security guards because it adds an element of security for ourselves and it really puts them on the spot when you have a camera on you recording the whole time and they're breaking your constitutional rights or your charter of rights to protest right in a public space so i mean i i think the starting of a cube right the first 10 minutes can be really Woo, exciting and especially being the organizers too because we're obviously well sorry i don't know if it's not obvious but we're the, we ended up starting the chapter here in winnipeg and being the organizers too so that puts a lot of pressure being the organizers and starting a starting in a farming community and you know um getting it going right and then like i said with like some of the pushback from security it can always get you you know to try and keep things in a calm and i think that's where my background kind of with the police as a youth knowing what they don't like um, kind of helps me because I know what they do like now and how to talk to them so that they are respectful to me and I know what is over the line for them too. So I think um, having that experience can really help too. But yeah, those first 10 minutes can be really tough and it can be really jittery. But like the end of the cube is like the most amazing feeling. And then like, it's like trying to sleep that night. It's so hard because <laughs> you're all so excited, especially if you have good conversations. We've had a couple of good cubes where it's just been you know, um, at different events where just, you know, just one of those nights is just amazing, right? And, you know, you just be, you know, um, high on the excitement of, you know, talking to so many people and sharing your story and having positive conversations, whether or not people are going to go vegan or not, you're still planting seeds. And I think that's really important to, you know, get them to the level of maybe someday getting there. You know, you might not be the first 
20, you know, there's like hundred percent you're vegan, you know, you might just get them 10% the way there. I mean, but you know, somebody else might get them 20% more and then they might see something on social media and before you know it, they're, before you know it, they're vegan, right. Or on their way to it. So I think it's really important and it's, it's nerve wracking. You know, we're getting, we're talking about starting our first cube right away and I'm just like, (laughs) everybody's all ready to go and they've opened, starting to open things up here now for, you know, the public somewhat pretty limited, but still enough that I think we could do it. And yeah, we're kind of excited too, because it's, we haven't done one in, you know, since the summer last year or November. So yeah, it'll be fun. But yeah, the first 10 minutes is, (laughs) <laughs> that's awesome well, it's great to hear that from you especially you know i haven't done one yet um and you know it's something that we've you know the more we're learning from from activists like yourself we're like yeah we got to do this you know like before it was like yeah we want to do this somewhere along the line but now we're like no we really want to do this this is really important that we do this and and i think you know it's it's, it's brilliant to get this awareness out there and and answer all those questions about things like security safety like every activist that we speak to is different you know in LA they've got things pretty sus they have a great relationship with the police then you go to the UK or, or here in New Zealand and you never know what you're going to get you know so, yeah. so in Canada, it's like woo you never know you know you'll get this, some power trip and security guard and then you know he can talk the police into something and then all of a sudden you get the police apologizing to you after which I've had and you know, it's it's crazy. I mean, we had an NHL game playing, and they we were doing our Cuba Truth outside an NHL hockey game. And because they had the cameras outside, they were really pushing us around because they didn't want us on national TV. And that's what we were trying to do. We were trying to get on national TV, trying to, like, make a little bit of a scene. But, I mean, you know, they, they really they use their, their authority. And, you know, having cameras, it can really help you. And, you know, having – I always carry my our Charter of Rights in Canada, too, and flash that in their face and – you know, you have your right. I mean, it's public space, right? So, I mean, I, if we have the right, we should try to use it when we can. And, you know, hopefully they'll respect our rights and do the best. And, you know, as long as you're always respectful and not swearing, I find is always important. I mean, you've got to be professional. You're wearing um, a logo of, a, of an organization and you're representing them. So, you know, you have to treat it like that. Like, you know, that's that's important to me. I mean, I treat it the same way as I would go to work at Bricklaying, right? I'm representing whoever I'm working for. So, I mean... You know, you have to bring it with a certain approach of professionalism and but sassiness too that you're not getting pushed around. Yeah. And uh, yeah, it's it can be. And yeah, I was gonna say, as you were a farmer too, it's it's a rewarding experience having that conversation with somebody explaining your story, um, especially on the street with somebody who has no clue who you are, who's never met you before, and they don't have any. You know, they just think you're just some random activist or whatever. But like, you end up coming with such a story that's compelling, and it can really, you know, really get people thinking about what they're doing. And I think yeah. it's it, for you, it'll be really fun when you get to try it. Ah, <laughs> uh, I must do it. Yeah, I get what you mean. It adds a whole other dimension. And um, I know for me, once I stepped away from the industry and I, I saw it for what it is, you know, I, there were always things like you that I didn't like. But when I actually the bombshell dropped and I saw everything as a whole and everything that I'd been part of. I found it really, really hard to live with myself um, for yep. having once been part. I still do, you know, and I, I don't know if that guilt will ever go away, but I guess um, what I learned from another activist, Jessica Strasty over here, she's a, a fantastic uh, anti-dairy activist. Um, and she said, you know, our way of coping with it is by using our years of knowledge and experience to now speak out against that and and tell people what's going on. So I guess for me, you know, I can't ever make up for it, but it's a kind of atonement for me for the suffering that I, that I had a part in that I helped to cause. Um, I wonder if that's the same for you at all. Would you say that, you know, you get that kind of feeling from it as well? 
Definitely. Every talk I give in front of the public, because I like to give public, I try to give public talks about my my experiences. I have like a PowerPoint I do, and um, anytime I do that, I think it's it's like, uh, yeah, like you say, atonement or just like uh, just kind of gives a little bit back to the animals that I put put away and stuff like that, and did the things that I did too. Um, yeah, it's just like, uh, yeah, it's I, th I think above every time, right? Every time we do a cube, it's like he's the one guy who you know, got to, you know, gets to live out his life when I put so many to, you know, to the rest, right? And especially for needless things too. And every farm did different things because they had different standards. You had to do what that boss told you to do, whether, you know, I thought it was right or not. I mean, if I wanted to continue working there, if he said to do that to the pig, I mean, that was what I had to do, right? And, you know, like now when I can share that story with them, that's like sharing his story that, you know, of what I did to him is kind of like giving back to him. That's kind of how I feel. I mean, that's, that's because in pig farming, there's so much death. I mean, we're constantly killing animals. Like there's always small ones. I mean, I, I never worked with cows, but I mean, you know, pigs having 11 and a half to 12 piglets a litter. I mean, you can imagine, you know, there's a lot of death involved in that and yeah. all the way into the end of, you know, finishing. So it can be, you know, especially different ways. So wonderful certainly making a difference now that's for sure yeah and that's that's what it's about sharing the story and then helping helping give back to the other animals right and you know if we can i know it's some people say you know what are you doing like trying to get one consumer at a time but i mean if that one person doesn't if that one person stops eating animals that's three meals a day you know what i mean and that person can get maybe one or two people i mean i know it's not changing the whole world but i mean it's a slow start and it's i think you know, I mean, it works, right? I mean, yeah. it's the easiest thing we can do. We all know how hard it is to change government policy and, you know, animal rights organizations aren't the Cattlemen's Association and these big, huge organizations who can throw money at government to tell them what to do, right? We're just, we're the, we're the ants. And, you know, you know, the only thing we can, the ants can do is tell the other person to stop doing it. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And every one person, you know, that's still 365 animals a year, isn't it, roughly? That, exactly. you know. And that person might get two or three person in a year. They could share the story or they might have kids and then they're not going to want their kids to start out eating animals and let them make that decision as they're older, you know. And if they decide they want to go that road, whatever. I mean, I can't stop them when they're adults, but I mean, you know, I'm going to give you the best plant-based meal I can give you now because I have two children and, you know, that's what we do, right? And yeah. the amount of health things we saw change in my daughter going vegan was amazing, right? I mean, she suffered from a lot of different things, asthma, stomach problems, eczema, and all that's gone away just by changing a diet, <laughs> you know? And same with my asthma too. My asthma is not gone, but I mean, it's definitely better than it ever was in my whole life mm. just by not consuming dairy like really <laughs> you know and animal products like it's wow yeah, definitely i can vouch for the ex uh, for the uh for the asthma too and migraines stopped day one you know who knew i thought it was part of my job was migraines <laughs> no <laughs> yeah so um for those who want to support you and uh keep up to uh keep up to date with what you're doing with the activism stuff like that is there any place that you can go to follow you or um, anywhere else you can re recommend they, they check out? Yeah, so I have uh, on YouTube, I have a YouTube channel called Canadian Vegan Outreach. So that's my YouTube channel. And then I have uh, a Patreon, uh, Vegan Justin. And then my Instagram is uh, Justin204Vegan. 
Awesome. Well, thank you so much for, for giving up your evening to come and speak to us today and Bubba too and all the family. <laughs> yeah, no, thank you very much for having me. And it was really great to share my story with you guys and everybody else. And I hope I can really help um, other farmers or other activists, um, you know, uh, by helping them with their activism or help other farmers realize they don't need to continue doing it. And, you know, there are other, are other people who did it that, you know, aren't doing it anymore. Thank you for listening to this interview. We hope you have found it informative and entertaining. To learn more about Justin's work, check out his YouTube channel at Canadian Vegan Outreach. Once again, be sure to follow us on our social media platforms for future episodes. This has been Vegan FTA, vegan for the animals.